Hello, I'm Stuart. Hello, I'm Liam. And today we're going to be talking about our 10 favorite things about moving from 5th edition Dungeons and Dragons to old school essentials. So Liam, how long have you been playing 5th edition? I've been playing 5th edition for, I think, approaching 9 years now. Aside from some sort of really brief basic D&D, I played 5th edition for really all the time between when I first started and now, and I sort of decided to switch to uh, Old School Essentials. Okay, and how long were you a dungeon master, would you say, during that time? I'd say during that time, I was probably a dungeon master for about eight years, as there was a little bit of time at the beginning where I was just a player, but I, I quickly decided that I wanted to run games as well, so. Okay, I started with 5th edition the same time you did, and I ran the game for, I think, three years once a week. And we had a lot of kids in that game, a lot of kids and their parents. I think we had 75 people in total in that campaign. So I think we had a lot of experience with 5th edition. And of course, when I was younger, I had started with 1st edition, and I played basic D&D and advanced Dungeons and Dragons, and then a bunch of other games. And recently, I'm also returning from 5e to old school essentials. So why don't we start with, with your list? We're going to take turns going back and forth, and we're, we have 10, 10 things. I have five, you have five. I don't know what yours are. You don't know what mine are. So let's, let's start with your number one reason that you liked coming back from 5th edition to old school essentials. I think my number one reason for why I enjoy Old School Essentials sort of more than 5e and why I made that sort of switch is there's just there's less pressure on game masters when you're actually running the game. You don't have to remember as many details about basically what the players can do at any given moment. Whereas I find with 5e, oftentimes you have to be thinking, it's almost like chess where you have to be like anticipating all the different like moves that the the players could take. And if you don't anticipate like, oh, you forgot to uh, remember a specific second-level spell. Well, it turns out your entire dungeon can just be uh, bypassed now. So, yeah, congratulations. Yeah. I, I noticed that as they added more books, that became harder. At the beginning, when it was, it was just the player's handbook, the Dungeon Master's Guide, the Monster Manual, it wasn't too bad. You knew everything that was in there. But as they kept adding things, and especially the, the last uh, couple of years with things like Tasha's Cauldron of Everything, there's just so many things to keep track of. It, it did turn into a lot of work. And that's very similar to my number one reason for being happy to, to switch from 5e to old school essentials, which is there's less rules to memorize or look up. And when I ran the game, I, I would ask the players to look up a lot of the rules so that I didn't have to do it. But it's like you said, it's, it's, it's important to know those rules and those spells and abilities. Otherwise, what you thought was a challenging encounter can just be very simple. So for me, it was there's just a smaller number of things to have to memorize and look up, which means that I can focus on other parts of running the game. I think that uh, sort of connects with my next point that I was gonna, I was gonna say about why I generally prefer old school essentials more, is that it's a lot easier to modify and to make homebrew for because there's less rules in place. You can basically add in whatever you want without worrying that it's gonna sort of topple the game balance too much. It's gonna cause too many issues you didn't think of. Whereas in five e, you you try to introduce a new spell, a new monster, a new magic item. 
And there's, there's like hundreds of things that you need to be thinking about, about how it will impact other like abilities and spells and features in the actual game. So I find that it's often like almost like a Jenga tower where you're trying to like pull out pieces from the bottom, put them back on top. And if you do that too much, it's eventually going to topple and fall down. Whereas old school essentials doesn't really have that issue because there's just less things that could sort of conflict with what you make. Yeah, I, I agree with that for sure. It wasn't my, my, my top five points, but one of the points I, I'd made was that it's easier to create new monsters. And I, I think that in 5e, you can always create a new monster by reskinning an existing one and just call it something else. It's not a goblin, it's a, a slime goblin or, or something like that. But I think there's an expectation that players want to engage with this system because they, they spent so much time on their 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 character build. They want to feel like mechanically it matters and... You know, I always felt like if I was going to add a new monster, I should be putting in the effort to make sure it's a, a well-thought-out, balanced 5e monster. And that's a lot more work than creating a new monster in old-school essentials. It's it's just faster, for sure. And I also, my, my second point was, it was very similar to yours, fewer surprises from PC spells and abilities. I thought that it was always challenging when I didn't know the spells well enough and I would think there was an encounter that was going to be challenging, and the, the players just walked straight through it. I still remember that one time when we were playing Curse of Strahd, and you had the, the fly spell and firebolt, and, you know, in hindsight, it, it's, it's very obvious, but at the time I was, I was a little surprised that that encounter with all the twig blights was so easy for you, because you could just stay out of reach in the air and attack every single round with no limitation on ammunition and what was supposed to be a, a challenging encounter became pretty easy. So my next point about why I like old school essentials and it's sort of refreshing to, to be playing this again is that the implied setting is more medieval and less high magic. And... I feel like it better emulates the sort of source material that gets me excited about running games. It's more like Robin Hood. It's more like Conan. It's more like Fafford and the Grey Mouser. Whereas 5e, not to say it's not fun, but it's higher magic. And it always makes me feel more like the X-Men mm -hmm. when I'm playing. I always feel like my character is is a bit of a... Uh, you know, a super-powered mutant or something like that, which is fun if that's what you're looking for. But when I'm looking for that fantasy dungeon crawl, Dungeons and Dragons experience, I do kind of like it when it's a little lower magic and it feels a bit more medieval. I mean, it really speaks volumes, the fact that they were able to come up with a book that's literally just a magical university, put it into 5e, and it doesn't like conflict with anything too much. Whereas in a lot of other... Settings. If you tried to put like a magic university into Conan, that would stick out like like a sore thumb. Like you wouldn't. Yeah. That's not the kind of thing you'd expect from from that setting. But Five E, it seems to fit, and it's just a vastly different style, a vastly different style of like world of setting. Yeah, when you have the right mood for that, mm -hmm. that magic, high magic, high power, it can be a lot of fun. But it it is refreshing to be able to play something where when there's a, a challenging situation, the players have to use ingenuity and, and think about it in terms of what could a, a normal person do rather than check their character sheet for which power can they use to to mm. beat this scenario. So, Yeah, I think my next point 
is sort of sort of to do with the actual setting as well. It's the three point alignment system that they use instead of the like nine alignments that is in like five E and in most most editions of D and D has the nine point, but Old School Essentials has the three point system. And I find that having just law, neutrality, and chaos, it really helps to establish the sort of setting where the ideals of good and evil are actually secondary to those of law and chaos. So it's like more of a, a struggle between the forces of law, of civilization, of order, and chaos, of like untamed wilderness, almost like things like trying to destroy basically society, trying to tear everything down. And I feel like that's, it's just more interesting. And I see a lot of conversations online that essentially turn into what alignment is this character? Mm-hmm. And there's always a lot of fighting. Like, oh, I think this version of Batman is is <laughs> lawful good. Oh, no, he's definitely lawful neutral because he does this thing. And there's just a lot of conversations that are like that online. Whereas you can be like, with this, it's like, yeah, he follows laws. He has set rules and codes that he follows. He doesn't kill anybody. Lawful. I also think that he's aligned with law. Mm-hmm. Like he's aligned with society. And, you know, standing up for what's right and as an ideal, right? So he's on the side of law, whereas, you know, the forces of chaos want to see everything burn. They, they don't care. That's like more like the Joker. Yeah. I think neutrality isn't so much what is my character like as they are not aligned with mm-hmm. one of the two sides. There's two sides. There's law and chaos. And then there's, you know people who are, are aligned to neither mm-hmm. um, and animals are aligned to neither because they're just part of the natural world. But I agree. I, I like that a lot. And it, it removes a lot of that conversation around whether an act is good or evil. A lot of the morality behind things. Yeah. 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 And it, it's, it's not so much my character w- would do this and I feel this mm-hmm. is good or I feel this is evil. Is it really okay to kill these goblins yeah. after they invaded this town? Because then you're no better. And it doesn't get into that. Yeah. You get to that, that the sort of moral arguments. Whereas I feel like the three point alignment system, you know, you're saying this character is aligned with the forces of civilization. You know, even if they're not particularly nice, you know, they're they're still aligned with civilization. They want to see that happening. Whereas a chaotic character is looking for the downfall of the keep on the borderlands. They're looking to, you know, undermine civilization. And it's a typically a humanocentric civilization as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I feel with old school essentials as opposed to 5e, it's easier for the players and the dungeon master, but definitely the players to keep track of who everyone is, what everyone is playing. Mm. And this is one of the things that I don't see discussed as much. It's great to have 300 different options for your PC where you can build them and customize them and have them exactly the way you want. But if the other people at the table don't remember or even know what you are playing for their you know, lens on the game, it, it kind of doesn't exist until you remind them of it. And then all of a sudden, oh, I, I thought you were a human this whole time. <laughs> it, it turns out you're in a, what, an aquatic dwarf? Yes. Um, I thought you were, uh, I thought you were just a human fighter. No, no, I'm an aquatic dwarf, you know, bard ranger thing. And it's better, I think, when 
you have a smaller number of options and mm-hmm. the people around the table know, oh, Liam's playing a dwarf. Yes. And, and Stuart's playing uh, a wizard. And it's easier for everyone to keep track of that. And then there's no surprises where, oh, I, I, I thought you were a human. Like, no, <laughs> I'm a, I'm a, you know, I'm a Goliath mm-hmm. and I'm also a, a warlock. And, and yeah. Yeah, I, I feel that especially with that, there's certain things with, with just how that sort of is as well, where whatever is more prominent is going to like take priority. Is it more important that you're a Goliath or is it more important that you're a warlock? Because people are going to be remembering one of those things. Yeah. And oftentimes, at least with 5e, it seems to be class. Because I even see online people make like little tokens or like standees and stuff. And they're each class. They're not like, oh, this is a human. This is an elf. This is a dwarf. They're, this is a fighter. This is a rogue. This is a bard. They're, they're not really having anything to do with what you're actually playing just sort of what class you're playing as. And it just, it just gets really confusing. Yeah, I agree with that for sure. It's less enjoyable for me as a player when someone reminds me partway through the game that, oh, by the way, I'm playing a lizard folk. And then I'm like, oh, but we were in a tavern. And so everyone in the tavern's okay with a giant lizard in there. And, you know, it, it, it kind of throws me out of the, mm-hmm. the, the fantasy, the, the suspension of disbelief a little bit. It's good when I can remember what everyone is all the time. So it's not just what that one player wants or whether the dungeon master remembers, but I also feel like it's good when everyone around the table has a sense for, for what's going on as well. Sort of one of the things, and this is also having to do with how sort of, uh, characters are actually built in like both versions of the games is that in old school essentials there's actually a much longer level up time there's there's a lot more time between leveling and i feel that with 5th edition i was always trying to find ways to slow down leveling sort of removing bonuses for being outnumbered uh, versus fighting like a single opponent adding additional (laughs) requirements. At one point, I was trying to completely homebrew another system to extend the length of how long you stay at certain levels. So I had like, oh, you have to be uh, 2,000 to get to level 2 and 4,000 to get to level 3. Yeah. But the thing is that because 5e isn't balanced around those things, players are going to come in, they're going to start complaining, they're going to be upset a little bit. Yeah, there is definitely more of an assumption that the players want you to be running the game following the rules yeah. as written because they've spent all that time learning the rules and picking the character options. And it's almost like building a deck yeah. in magic. Well, and, and they want time, time and money, really. Yeah. They bought all those supplements mm-hmm. and they want to use them. And, you know, it takes, it takes longer to build your character. It's faster for players to build their, their characters in old school essentials than it is in 5e. And you can make that part of the game it's so fast you can bring everyone together and within geez 20 minutes maybe you go around the table everyone's rolled up their character they've bought all their equipment they've picked their names and and it's something you can all do together where i feel like with 5e it it takes a little bit more thought and, and looking back and forth in the books and i always feel like I have all these options and and I'm going to make this really customized, special character, but they always kind of come out a little similar. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, there's even certain things like feats are officially listed as an optional rule. Mm -hmm. I'm 
I'm pretty sure even Variant Human, who, like, gets it at first level, get they get a free feat, they're also listed as optional as well. Yeah. So, just entirely feats are optional, and yet most of the games I play in have allowed them just... At this point, they've almost become, like, a mandatory rule. I think they might be mandatory, or not mandatory, but, like, default mm-hmm. in, the, in the the newer edition that they're working on. They're, so. Yeah, they're definitely be taking a more, sort of a more feat-focused approach to this next upcoming version. I see a lot of people talking online about how martial classes are underpowered compared to spellcasters in 5e, especially at higher levels. And I've sort of noticed that even at lower levels as well, where you have feats that give you spells... You're able to take a small number of spells, and even if you're not playing as, like, there's subclasses as well. So Fighter, they have, like, their, like, Eldritch Knight, and you've got the Arcane Trickster for the Rogue. Each of those give them access to spells. But there's also feats that do the same thing. So even if you're not playing one of those magical subclasses for something that isn't already magical, you can supplement that with spells and it almost like forces you down that path if you want to be playing optimally. If you're playing with people who really go out of their way to not build optimal characters, yeah. or you're playing with children who, yeah. who don't know to build optimal characters, then then it can be what I think of as, as more fun mm-hmm. and the characters seem you know more distinct. More distinct, more believable. Yeah, but when it's really obvious that it's more helpful to take that magic initiate feat and add some spells in there... I think more characters end up looking that way. So even though it takes, you know, what what is it, half an hour maybe to make your character, I feel like you're not really getting that much distinctiveness between them compared mm. to, to what you would think you are with all those options. So I do like that about old school essentials where you tend to not do point by, you tend to do rolling in front of the group and everyone sees you know, oh, th- yeah. th- this character is going to be a fighter, but he's only got nine strength. So you, you have mm. to come up with some reasons for why he's like that and, and what different approach he'd, he'd take. Whereas you know, in 5e, when you're, you're using point by, that fighter is going to have strength as his highest ability score. And you're not going to get those weird outlying cases where you have the weak fighter or the kind mm. of dumb wizard. In 5e, there's also, like, rolling for stats as well, but it's just you roll an extra dice and you remove the lowest one, and then you get to reorganize them, so it's not, like, down the road. Yeah, that's true. That's it's, true. So you'll be rolling, and I find every time that people roll, it'll be like, I got a, a 17, I got a 15, <laughs> I got a two 14s, I got a 12, I got, yeah. and they're all, like, really yeah. high, and there's basically never a negative score. Yeah. I think you could take some of the things that we're talking about that we like about old school essentials and you could apply them yeah. to a 5e game, but I definitely get the feeling that's not what most people show up to a 5e game looking for. I think mm-hmm. most people show up wanting to use the character that they spent their time building, sort of like building your deck in magic. Yeah. They've spent this time, they've optimized it the way they want and they want to engage with the rules as written and they don't want you to you know, throw half of them away or, or house rule a bunch of things. And they want to play 5e and win with the deck they've built. Whereas I feel like when people show up to play old school essentials, that's not at the, f- the front of, of mind when they're playing. The experience is going to be a little bit different. Mm-hmm. I find speaking of that sort of experience, just play styles, the sort of fifth thing on my list of, of what I like more about old school essentials is you get XP for treasure that you acquire on your adventures. And I see a lot of people talking with with 5e about how 
their party becomes murder hobos. They go around the place. They don't engage with any sort of plot, no plot hooks. They don't want to go on these, these adventures. They just want to kill people. And I think part of that actually stems from the fact that in 5e, there's a few exceptions for like published adventures where you get given out XP at certain moments or if you're playing with milestone leveling. Mm -hmm. But if you're playing with XP, you basically have to just slaughter dozens of enemies <laughs> if you want to level up. And so that changes the way in which the game is played, where you're just looking for these fights all the time. Somebody mouths off to you, well, looks like you're a walking pinata full of XP, so <laughs> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start whacking you with a stick now. <laughs> I think that might depend a little bit on the group, for sure. But mm -hmm. I do like how if you get the XP from collecting or like a treasure... Yeah, a treasure. The best way to do that is to get that treasure without... without yeah, alerting them or getting in a fight. So it does incentivize more sneaky mm -hmm. strategies and tactics to get the treasure away from the ogre instead of everything turning into a fight. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know for sure, but I also wonder if the lack of the battle map the battle map, yeah. um, might have something to do with it. And I like minis, and I like tactical grid mm -hmm. combat, but when that's on the board... People are ready to engage with it. <laughs> yeah. You know, when you put that that map down and you have all those miniatures, people mm -hmm. are less likely to want to run away. I think they're ready to yeah. go. Yeah, they, they see that, and when that shows up, they they start thinking less in terms of like the sort of narrative and the story and what's happening, and more in terms of oh, this is like XCOM or oh, this is like Fire Emblem. Yeah, and. In those games, generally, it's expected that you're going to fight the enemies basically to the death. Yeah. So yeah, and that and again, those those games can be a lot of fun. Oh right? yeah, like they can if, be. If, yeah. If, if we're going to play a tactical miniatures game, usually you're going to yeah, play the yeah. game and not get up and walk away from the table. Yeah. But I do like that in old school essentials where that's not the focus so much, which leads into my next point that there's more focus on other aspects of the adventure besides combat. And I think it's even things like the resource management in the game. So in, in 5e, most of the characters have either dark vision or they can produce light whenever they want with some mm -hmm. sort of cantrip. And so there's no need for the resource management of keeping track of, of torches and, and lantern oil. So that's completely removed from the game. And likewise, a good berry cantrip means there's no more resource management for keeping track of food uh, mm. as your characters are adventuring. And that's great if you never enjoyed those things to start with, but I think those can make the game interesting. And it's part of that shopping at the beginning yeah. where you're building your character, where do I put all my money into war gear, armor and weapons, or how much supplies do we need? And I, I do like that part, so it's more of an expedition and, and less just a, a raid. Yeah, <laughs> a couple of people just knocking down a door, just marching right in. Yeah, yeah. so, so I, I like that. I like that they're, the focus around more puzzles, more mm -hmm. the monsters have a, a reaction role, so there's built-in assumption that you're not always going to be fighting mm -hmm. that they're fighting is not the central aspect of the mm -hmm. gameplay it's one of the subsystems that you can engage with you can be in a dungeon and you can run into certain types of monsters you can run into like a troll and if you can speak to it properly mm -hmm. or you have somebody who knows how to communicate with this thing 
and the reaction roll is a 12, all of a sudden this troll is actually going to be trying to help. It's going to be showing you the right way to go. It's going to be showing you sort of where the treasure is instead of actually trying to murder you, which is sort of assumed by default in, in most other editions. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. one of the things that I also really enjoy is the danger, the actual danger within the dungeons or just exploring in old school essentials. Because especially at first level, when you're walking around with like three <laughs> hit points and right. leather armor, you feel pretty vulnerable. You and are you are you, very you vulnerable. Are, you are, but you feel like if a goblin shows up, this goblin might actually just straight up kill you. Mm-hmm. Like, <laughs> so we had 75 players over three years in our 5e game, and we had 10 PC deaths mm-hmm. during that time. So I see online people say, oh, characters never die in 5e, and I, I don't think that's true at all. Mm-hmm. I think that the characters of yeah. smart players don't die. But if you have players who wander away from the party, don't use good tactics to, to support each other, yeah, you can see uh, PC deaths fairly quickly. And I'm, I'm not saying that you can't have PC deaths in 5e. I'm just saying that it's harder to... Absolutely. Absolutely. Whenever I'm running, I'm not looking to kill off characters. I'm not like, mm, <laughs> yes, I'm going to kill somebody tonight. I, that's not what I, I go into the game looking for when I'm running the game. Mm-hmm. But being able to have that sense of danger, and it changes how the game is played. People are more focused on the actual like marching order. They put whoever has the strongest right. armor, the highest hit points. They go in the front. They're sort of protecting everybody else. And things go south really, really quickly if that person, say, steps in a trap. Oh, there's a pitfall. It takes them down to another level of the dungeon. If they're in a dungeon, all of a sudden now the person with all the hit points is gone. They're, they're somewhere else. They're stranded. And now all the squishier characters are also, in a way, they're also stranded because now they're trapped in this dungeon without their sort of frontline fighter. And it has more interesting sort of dynamics like that, whereas in 5e... It might be really bad for... It might still be very bad for whoever just fell down that trap. Yeah. But the actual core group is still going to be barely fine, unless the dungeon's particularly challenging. Yeah, I, I definitely felt like most of the time the players in 5e felt as long as they stayed together, they could muscle through most encounters. And they, mm-hmm. they didn't really need to think about it. When they ran into something, roll for initiative, everyone gets in the fight. Whereas in old school essentials and, and certainly, you know, BXD&D and other OSR type games, they shouldn't approach the game yeah. that way. And they should be thinking about whether or not to engage in combat, sneaking, checking ahead, scouting, finding strategic places to fight from doorways and, and things like that, using flaming oil, not just charge yeah. into melee and rip through the enemies. I've seen that as well. Running games for people who are more used to 5e, running games with old school essentials, is that they often charge into combat, even when you're like, this is not a good idea. <laughs> you, you even, like, you don't tell them, but you're like, are you sure you want to be doing this? This is like five goblins in this room. Are you sure you want to charge in there alone? They'll be like, yes. I think... That's probably the biggest the biggest challenge, I would say, with, with people moving between the, the two mm-hmm. systems is what sort of media is it trying to emulate? So if you're looking for something that is based on Appendix N that's a Robin Hood or a Conan or, or something like that, you're probably going to like that old school essentials. But if you want that anime aesthetic where they charge in and they 
they're they're ripping through dozens and dozens of, of you know, minion-type enemies all the time. You might be approaching old-school essentials <laughs> the wrong way and you're going to run into trouble. But I prefer that lower power level, so mm-hmm. that's why I've enjoyed coming back to old-school essentials. I mean, there's certain OSR games, like if you if you play, like, Beck Me D&D and you get into those higher levels, you get up to, like, level 30 or something mm-hmm. really high like that, you're playing as, like, a fighter... You basically never miss from that point onward, unless the enemy has like magic armor that they're wearing and you roll very poorly, you're not going to be missing. So you still get that sort of, and again, you have to be playing the game for a very long time in order to reach that level. Or, or, or start a character or, at that or level. Or start a character at that level, yeah, but... I don't know very many people that play at that level. No. I'm, sure, I'm sure there must <laughs> no. be. They published adventures that were at mm-hmm. those higher levels, but most of the time I've either played or seen people talking about playing adventures that are below level 10. Even when you're at those levels, though, you still don't feel nearly as powerful as you do, even as like a level 7 character in 5e. Because that's when you start having your multi-attack and your powerful spells. Absolutely. Whereas in in those other things, it's how many attacks do you have? Oh, still one. Just the one. That's right. I think you could have a, a higher level character adventuring with lower level characters mm-hmm. in, in old school essentials, and it wouldn't be as yeah. game breaking as a, a, like a seventh level character with oh, first yeah. level characters in Five E. I remember when the characters in our game started getting up above fifth level, and it really changed the game a lot. And I'd always felt like it was a high magic game before. And once they start getting up to those levels, it was like, wow. Because you get to that level and instantly it unlocks, like if you're playing like a wizard, mm-hmm. it unlocks so many things. Because all of a sudden, the sky, fly. You can fly through the sky. <laughs> water, water breathing. You can go underwater. And they, and they do have water breathing and flying and lightning bolts and yeah, fireball they, they in, have in, that. in old school essentials. But it's less sort of, less intrusive, I find, yeah, also. I never felt like you're going to turn an adventure for a character one or two levels yeah. lower into a cakewalk. You also feel more like you've actually earned it as well. At least I find because in 5e, 5e tends to almost like hand out levels like good job you you beat you beat this monster. Here's a level up. Especially <laughs> at the lower levels. At the lower levels. Yeah, I, I lower don't know levels. about the higher levels. At the higher levels it sort of balances out a bit more, but especially like between level one to two, it's like 300 XP. Yeah, they want you to basically mm-hmm. skip that level. Your mom sends you to the store to get milk and bread, and yeah. you come home as a second level character. Yeah. And I think in old school Essentials and BX and first edition AD&D, you need quite a lot of XP to get to second level. And if you find enough treasure, that's great, but you're not doing it in one evening usually. No. Unless you're in one of those Monty Hall yeah. type campaigns. I don't think you're going to get to second level in one session. Whereas I feel like in 5e, it's very common to jump up to second level. So I definitely like that. Nice slower pace of advancement because I do like the lower levels because Mm -hmm. I feel it's, especially for new players, it's easier to to say, imagine you are in this scenario. You are in an old cavern or a cave or a dungeon or whatever, and you see these things. What would you do? Which is a bit different than if you have a high-powered character Mm -hmm. where you're asking them, what would this almost superhero-level character do? And then What would Wolverine do in this situation? And then you have to make sure that you're thinking 
the same media. Because if yeah. I say, what would you do? We both have an understanding of what a person could do. But when we're saying, what would a fantasy character do? And you're thinking Wolverine, and I'm thinking Conan. Yeah. You know, Wolverine is a, a level of danger above Conan. Yeah. As much as I like Conan, right? Yeah. He, he doesn't have a steel skeleton and <laughs> retractable claws and a healing factor. So I remember when we were playing our campaign and one of the players wanted to jump across a chasm and catch a rope. And yeah. it was, I think it was just a disconnect on what style of media are we trying to emulate here? Mm -hmm. And I do like it when, and similar to liking how everyone understands what everyone else is playing, I like when everyone knows what should be possible and what should not be possible. And we don't have to pause the game and have a conversation about, can you jump (laughs) across a chasm and catch a rope in midair and swing across one-handed? That's not a thing that a normal person could do, but it is a thing you might see in like, anime fiction. It almost reminds me of Bollywood action movies where you'll see scenes in Bollywood action movies where like a guy will like punch and 10 guys will fall over. This seemingly normal guy will like leap in the air, do like a some sort of spiral, catch a gun and shoot three guys with one bullet. Yeah. In midair. Yeah. And this is maybe another conversation about like the rule of cool. Mm -hmm. But I think it's really important that everyone has a, a shared understanding of what's reasonable in the game for a character to be able to achieve. And when you're emulating fiction, yeah, you have the warriors from the 1970s where it's punching and and sort of more gritty people scale gang stuff. And then Mm -hmm. you, you have Bollywood action thing where he jumps out of the car as it's flipping through the air and lands on his feet and punches someone in the face. And yeah, both are cool in different ways, but they're hard to have in the same game where one person thinks the limit is yeah. is one and the other person thinks the limit is, is something else. Why don't we give one thing that we would bring with us from 5e before we wrap up? Definitely for me, one thing that I, I probably would bring from 5e is advantage and disadvantage. I like yeah. that system a lot because it just streamlines things. Functionally, advantage is about the same as having a plus three modifier and disadvantage is about the same as having a minus three modifier, but... It's just a lot easier to say to, especially new players, you get to roll the dice twice, and if it's advantage, you pick the better one. If it's disadvantage, you pick the worse one. Yeah, yeah. It's just, it's It's more fun to get, to to let people roll their fun D&D dice. Mm -hmm. I agree. I'd rather see people roll more dice and do less math at the table, for sure. I think the thing that I might bring would be, I like the idea well, I think there's too much healing in 5e, and I think mm-hmm. you go to bed at one hit point, you wake up right as rain is probably a bit too much. I do like the idea that maybe after a week, you would roll your hit dice to see how many hit points you get back. So mm-hmm. I liked that idea that if you have a d6 for hit dice, you're rolling that d6 to see how many points you get back. And if you have a d8 for hit dice, you're rolling the d8. So like, like per day or per week? No, I think t- per day would be far too much. I think yeah, for old school essentials. Because in old school essentials, they have d3 per day. Yeah, so I think I'd have to look at that mm-hmm. and figure out how often to give that to people. But I do like that idea of, of yeah. different classes healing at, at different rates. Based on their hit points Based as on well. their, their hit points and their hit dice. I feel like that also kind of rewards, like, I'm playing a magic user. I'm playing a fighter. Yeah. And and yet they, they still 
heal at the same rate. So all of a sudden the magic user is ready to go in like two days and the fighter takes like half a week. Exactly. So I do like that about 5e that you are getting up to that same percentage of healed at the same rate mm -hmm. and the magic user doesn't he seemingly heal from grievous injury twice as fast yeah. as, as the fighter does. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I'm not sure how I'd use it, but, but I like that idea. Okay, well, thanks for chatting yeah. and uh, thanks for listening, everyone. And this was our first podcast and we hope you like this and we'll talk to you again soon.